0: While studying at Manchester Metropolitan University, Joseph discovered a problem. We stumbled into, I guess what was and Silas called as a student financial crisis.
1: To solve this, Joseph co-founded UniTasker. It's now one of the top apps in lifestyle and business categories on Apple's App Store, boasting over a quarter of a million members. But more importantly, the app helps students earn money.
0: Students that really go, you know, quite hammered at it. Can earn anywhere up to, you know, five, six thousand pounds a year just on the platform.
1: But it wasn't a straightforward journey for Joseph, having spent time in the wilderness of Africa, where he worked as a safari ranger and a conservationist.
0: I had had a hyena put its head through my tent once. I woke up to its head kind of like sticking through, which was pretty horrific.
1: Joseph is helping students earn money, and we thought with university students getting ready to go back to campus, this was an ideal time to promote Joseph's episode. Joe, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the
0: Future. Thanks for having me. Tell us the origin story behind UniTasker. Of course. So, I mean, I guess I'll start from the beginning. I come from somewhat of an unconventional background. Um, Left school, didn't quite know what I wanted to do in my future. Always had a passion for wildlife. Ended up flying to South Africa, where I worked and trained as a safari ranger um, for close to a year and a half. Uh, That was an experience in its own right. Um, We can dig into that. But uh, following my crazy year abroad, I went to uni to study animal genetics. It was then in my first year, and I guess my co-founders' second year, that we stumbled into, I guess, what was Macili's class as a student financial crisis. Um, I think for us at the time, we had a number of peers that were either A, graduating, but lacked the experience they needed to go into their sector of choice, or B, they were leaving university because they couldn't afford the cost of living. And for my co-founder, Ollie and I, this very much felt like a pivotal flaw in the education to employment system and something we very much felt passionate about solving. Um, so that was, that was the crux of where it all began. And
1: what are the type of jobs that you first got on the platform?
0: Definitely. So, so when we first launched the platform, we primarily led towards tasks. So for us, tasks are a great way. You know, when I say tasks, I mean odd jobs, freelance kind of gig economy style work, um, reason being. They're a great way of students being able to actually pick up on different kind of experiences, working for a variety of different brands in a way that doesn't affect their overall studies. Um, in terms of categories, it varies dramatically. Uh, we see jobs ranging from photographers to bloggers, to social media managers, to gardeners, um, there is really no extent to the type of jobs that can be posted on the platform. When we first launched years back, we initially launched as well, Primarily an in person jobs platform, so more leaning towards household services. Um, prior to COVID, we pivoted and flipped the model to focus more so towards remote jobs, uh, whereby we now obviously lean into more experience based kind of learning opportunities for students. That's also gone on. We've also now expanded into offering part time internships and full time graduate placements. So we were able to actually provide students that were coming to the end of their studies with longer term um, opportunities.
1: Okay, well let's come back to the apprentice uh, side of things, but first, sure. what are those types of um, remote roles then that students can do now in the economy?
0: Definitely, so it, ultimately we, we look to pair students with relative jobs to the subject that they're studying and their wider interests. Um, you know, such, such categories can include marketing, um, you know, design, uh, product testing, um, that there's really quite an endless list of of categories and tasks that go on uh, we see a lot of ambassador roles throughout the um, app as well um, we see often yeah I mean there's, there's such a variety in terms of the type of tasks
1: what's what give, give us a case study of, of how much money somebody's earned um doing these kind of roles
0: of sure task. so it's really down to the student as to how much time and you know energy they're willing to put into the platform students that really go, you know quite hammered it, could earn anywhere up to you know five, six thousand pounds a year just on the platform, which is a great support amidst their studies. Um, we, you know, I think there's some really nice stories as well. We, one of I actually had a conversation a few days ago with this girl called Helena. Um, she was a blogging student on the app, used it throughout her entire studies, graduated, um, ended up securing a job at startups.co. Um, And, you know, it's it's one of those full circle moments. So it's really nice to be able to see the experience that students are gaining through the platform coming into effect in real life. Totally. How many people have you got on the platform? Just shy of, well, no, 305,000 members. Um, It's grown rapidly. Um, Just before COVID, we had just shy of 3,000 members on the platform uh, with that pivot to focus on online remote work and students being, you know, kept at home um, with not much to do. We provide we students with a great way of building out on experience and really making the most of that time that they had at home, Um, which is where we really started seeing spikes. Um, I mean, through COVID, there were nights where we hit number one on the App Store um, across multiple categories. Wow, that must have been
1: uh, incredible. Uh, so 100x growth over three years, not, not bad. <laughs> and tell us about that, the ambassadorial roles then, because, I mean, I think... You know, as I kind of said in the introduction, you know, the, the time at university is, when I go to universities, I get the impression that time is a lot better spent than when I was there in terms of people's careers. And mm-hmm. I wasn't that long since I was at university. <laughs> it's just every time, like that long. So like 15 yeah, years It's now. getting longer and longer in stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's really, it's really going one way, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm shook by is just the amount that they are doing to prepare for careers and entrepreneurship as as well. Talk to us a little bit about these ambassador roles because they sound quite interesting.
0: Sure. So often we work with large, you know, enterprises such as your Spotify's, Apple's, Uber's, um, who want to tap into our workforce as a means of actually reaching other students on campus. Um, so we see quite a heavy volume of ambassador roles on the platform, whereby students are. Essentially, tasks, you know, a mixture of different opportunities. Um, it could be, you know, going into various different societies and elaborating on what the brand, you know, does, for example. It could be that actually, you know, it's on street flyering, for example. It could be that they actually come in, in under more of an internship program whereby they're upskilled in a certain, you know, element relative to their course um, that they can then utilize as a means of, you know, bringing on more students and so on. Um, That's yeah. very, uh, very interesting. And so,
1: you yeah, so it's brands like, Spotify and zoom then getting into those kind of halls of residence to sort of. Yeah, exactly. So, right.
0: so most recently we've, um, we're about to kick off a campaign over the coming month with Adobe. Um, you know, they're playing a big focus on next gen and the best rate to best way to reach next gen is ultimately through next gen. Um, yeah. so- that is, uh, amazing. Have you got any statistics about which universities have the most
1: kids, sorry, have you got any statistics about which universities have got the most students working?
0: on the pla- on our platform
1: yeah so in terms
0: of cities that we're most prominent within so we cover 100 percent of UK universities now uh, practically 70% of UK colleges um, we've I'd say in London Manchester um, Nottingham and Birmingham are likely our most most prominent cities um but it, it, it flips the whole time you know often we'll see you know certain areas that spike due to the network effect that the app has so you know if we get a good group of students, or on the platform within a certain city quite quickly, we'll see, you know, exponential growth in that city. And how did you grow doing this initially? Did you get boots
1: on the ground? Cause I, yeah, I remember university, I remember Red Bull being particularly sort of innovative and doing quite a lot. I was at Birmingham um, yeah. and then sort of like leaving the cans on, you know, all the students' uh, rooms in halls and also uh, houses as well. Like how did you kind of grow when you were at university?
0: No, it's a good question. And it actually spirals on to another part of our business. So, for years, my co founder and I tried to find the best way to get students onto our app. And we tried everything. You know, it was book a cleaner, book a DJ, we'll give you a free cleaner the next day, you know, anything we could to get students on the app. We did, you know, fresh affairs, we did flyering, we did billboard campaigns, we tried everything. And nothing quite worked for us to the extent that it does now. So, one day, and this was a bit of a magical mistake, my co founder and I sat down, we thought, Let's post a task on the app. Let's get 50 students to shout us out on their social media. We figured best case, you know, it would do something from a marketing standpoint. Worst case, at least we've given some students some money on the app. I think at that point we had just rewatched the platform and we didn't have enough businesses posting jobs. Um overnight we went somewhat viral. It was this movement of the nano influencer, the nil guy. And when you combine that group value, how powerful they can be. This actually led to us having a spin-off under the Unitasker brand called Shout. Shout was announced by TikTok a couple of years ago as having the largest network of nano-influencers in the world. So we've got 150,000 registered nano-creators, our books, with a combined 500 million followers. Um, that's enabled us to be able to work with you know, your, your larger kind of brands, such as your Spotify's, Uber, the NHS, um, the list really goes on and provide those brands with a similar model to essentially what worked for us. You know, so back to your question, how do we grow? We use our own students as an army of advocates to, to grow us. Um, they are our biggest champions, um, and it's been a really powerful movement. I like that phrase,
1: magical mistakes. I think there could be a whole kind of entrepreneurial series in those types of things. Talk to us more about the Nano influencer, then, because obviously it's something that we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast here. We've mm-hmm. had uh, Ben Francis and Noel Macon of Gymshark, for example, talking about how they've built a kind of billion-dollar company um, off the back of social media and so on how would you give us a flavor of nano influencers? of what students can do as nano influencers? What are they sort of specializing
0: in? Definitely. So I think the first thing, everyone has a different specification of what they believe different, you know, influencer categories and criteria to be. Uh, For us, our criteria behind a nano influencer is somewhere between 500 to 5,000 followers, really the smallest of the small. Um, I think, you know, when you've got, such a small audience, it tends to be primarily built up based on family and friends, so straight away when they post content, it's coming from a trusted source, so the conversion tends to be slightly greater. Um, I think you know brands and agencies for years have tried to find the best way to work with these smaller creators, given that they do have such increased you know, authenticity and engagement alongside also targeting. But where they struggled was how do we achieve the same audience size whilst mitigating brand risk when working with these volume accounts. And also where do we find these volume accounts? Because when you have such a small following, you don't necessarily know that you can monetize it. And yeah. luckily, I mean fortunately, back to that magical mistake, because we were sat on this tasking platform, we had essentially built the exact mechanism to achieve just that. You know, we had students flocking into the platform, seeking all sorts of different times of work. And, you know, the idea of them actually being able to monetize their their social media and work with some of the world's biggest brands from such a nominal amount of followers was a really exciting prospect you know it's given i think the creator economy has been booming the past few years and we've given really grassroots opportunities to individuals to kind of get into the creator economy and learn as to how they might want to work with brands as they kind of pursue through their career um it's it's been really powerful. I mean, for for years, Shout has essentially our agency has operated under an agency front where we run these campaigns on clients' behalfs. Now, over the next week or so. uh, That's
1: a separate, well, not separate, but that's under the Unitasker thing. Yeah,
0: so when I I look at what Unitasker is, Unitasker as a brand, we're here to connect businesses with a workforce of students. We do so through two separate products. We've got the Unitasker platform, which is geared up towards the gig economy, filing freelance work and upskilling students surrounding their studies. We've then got Shout. Whereby students can essentially monetize their social media and become an influencer. Um and you know, all jobs feed directly into the Unitasker platform. So the Unitasker platform is a hub that encompasses everything. Um but both different routes provide students with opportunities to earn and gain experience, just two very different ways of doing so. Give us some examples of
1: the UniCreators then, because i bet there's some I bet there's some really niche things in there as well.
0: But give, give us some examples. Honestly, incredibly niche. Um, I mean, when students join the platform, we look to really understand them as an individual, you know, what their hobbies are, their passions, you know, what they're studying, for example. So when it comes to really filtering down to finding the right creator, we can be really, really specific. Um, We also, on a nano level, you know, look to find individuals that are already aligned with the brand. You know, so for example, us looking to work with Adobe, We'll look at which students are currently studying graphic design and are using Adobe, for example, because naturally those are going to act as the most, well, authentic advocates for the brand. Totally. Um,
1: and talk to us about the sort of fundraising journey that you've been on as well. How have you been able to scale this?
0: Definitely. So we bootstrapped the company initially. Um, we later took on some debt fin- financing following... Um, quite a heavy growth period through COVID, uh, which has enabled us to get to the point that we are today. Uh, we started going out for a fundraise fairly recently. Um, you know, Our ambition is to scale the platform further across the UK, but also across the U- US. We launched in the US about six months ago. We've already got about 40, 45,000 members on the platform there. Um, so it's being adopted to really nicely abroad, which is great to see. Um, but ultimately, the aim behind this fundraise now is to really take things to the next level. It's about scaling our, our growth.
1: What's been your biggest lesson about trying to launch and scale in the US?
0: I mean, different people react in different ways. I think you know the biggest challenge initially was whether or not we were going to be able to replicate the same marketing strategy that we employed in the UK. Um, fortunately, we weren't, but the messaging definitely had to change slightly in terms of how we positioned it to, to individuals. For example, you know, when it comes to looking at um, onboarding creators in the US, US creators are far less concerned about the money and far more concerned about the brand that they are representing. So I'm not say that you know naturally we want to find that perfect blend regardless of where we're advertising, but we've definitely had to take a different steer. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've taken from that US move. As being really understanding when to pivot, um, just because something isn't necessarily working well, you know, doesn't mean that it can't. If you take a slight different steer on it,
1: and um, um, what do you see as the total market size that you can go after with this? Because I suppose there is a challenge around there are already so many students in the UK. So even if you get them all on, right? It's like, what are your kind of growth plans?
0: Definitely. Well, I think I think there's a few different things there. So first thing, we work with students from the ages of 16 through to 25. So straight away, you know, we've got a nine-year kind of gap of working with those individuals. Um, You know, following that, we look at transitioning students from, I guess, students into public consumers in the sense that students who use the app have a grace a year grace period once they graduate to locate full time work, whether that be continuing down the economy route or locating more extensive, you know, full time work in the UK. Um, following that, we then transition their account from a student seller into a public buyer, so they now entering the workforce can look to continue using us, but more from a tasking perspective. Um, so you know, that's where I very much feel that we will. Win in the in the long term and take up a larger market a larger market share than our competitors because we are building a relationship with these individuals from a much younger age than they perhaps can. Um, that being said, you know between the UK and the US alone, given that we do work within sixteen to twenty five, there are in excess of fifty million um, you know students that we can look to work with. So we've you know practically just scratched the surface. Yeah, we're, we're not even close. Um,
1: and talk to us about these. You touched on it earlier. The apprentice. Uh, the, the apprentice and sort of uh, internship mm. schemes because that was a, that was something that was a big part of when I was at university that people were very focused on was the internships tell us about that
0: definitely um I think you know internships are very much in line with our tasking mentality to some extent in the way that they give students you know short-term opportunities to work within different institutions and gain different valuable experience within said institutions um, so I think, you know, we've definitely seen a major lean towards that. So we partnered with LinkedIn um, earlier this year and LinkedIn essentially funnel in all of their entry-level kind of graduate internship opportunities directly into the Unitasker platform. Essentially, you know, they, like ourselves, are passionate about supporting the next generation. Um, So that's been a great opportunity for us um, as well in the sense that we now see anywhere up to 10,000 new opportunities uh, posted on the platform a day. And what are
1: students looking for for internships now
0: i think students yeah i mean students are really hungry to learn you know there is a like a self-financing kind of perspective whereby they are trying to finance the life that they want to live throughout their studies uh, which isn't necessarily easy um but they are so incredibly hungry to learn you know i think the world has become a much more challenging place uh, to some extent and students understand that in order for them to stand a better chance on the ladder um, and you know, better position themselves post-graduating, they need early experiences to do that. So we've definitely seen a major movement in terms of students not only wanting to take on paid opportunities, but also relative experience-based opportunities.
1: What's the best way that somebody, that a student listening to this about to go to university can use the platform? Because you're right, in a way that's never been a more competitive world, it's never been oh. more challenging to kind of make it. But then there's also platforms like you guys are providing, which has also never made it been, never made it easier in some ways as well, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> That's what's nice way, one,
0: what's yeah. the best way of using the platform? Definitely. So, you know, we, we, encourage students of all, you know, all ages, between 16 and 25 to jump on board the platform. It's never too late. Um, once they're onboarded onto the platform, they're able to add any kind of prior experience they have. Um, they're also able to um, essentially filter down which jobs perhaps are most relative to them. We're looking at, at tying in wider kind of isometric testing, so we can better pair candidates with relative roles as well. Um, but ultimately, you know, they set different tags and alerts, and when a jobs posted that's relative to them, they're notified. Um, both buyer and seller rated are viewed on the platform, so it gives students a good opportunity to build up this you know previous experience. One thing that's really exciting is post graduating. They essentially have a transferable CV based on all jobs that they have done throughout their entire studies on the platform that can be exported onto a CV, um, which is invaluable. That's really interesting. So they, get, so they get ratings from all the jobs then? So there's a bit
1: of an Airbnb? Ratings,
0: reviews. Yeah. I mean, consider it you know, like a testimonial, as it were, for yeah. every single job that they do on the platform. Um, it's, a, it's a bank of references, essentially, that they can take post-graduation to, to help them.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah. So how do you, do, but just talk us through the me- mechanics of it in terms of, we get, gonna get quiet. how
0: does the platform work?
1: Yeah. Basically like in terms of like, what, what protections are provided for the students and, uh, and whatever is it that kind of like, yeah, just, just talk us through that.
0: Definitely. So, I mean, from from a business perspective, when they sign up, um, they're able to select what type of job they're looking to post, whether that be that task, internship, part-time, full-time. Once they select what type of job it is, they're presented with a list of categories. There's then a really simple to use um, form that they can fill out to essentially post the job brief. Once it's posted, relevant students are notified. Students can apply on, on the job or the task. Applicants are compiled on the business side of the platform so that they can shortlist relevant candidates, um, they can trigger conversation directly within the platform. I think one of the things when it comes to security and so on, so every single student is verified using their student email address, so that's the first thing. Um, secondly, on the public side, we run two-factor verification, uh, with cross-reference against IDs and so on uh, to make sure it's incredibly secure for the students. Um, on top of that, you know, we 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 have to have heavy levels of insurance to make sure that there's not any problem in that kind of regard. Um, but really, you know, I think the fact that we're primarily a remote based workforce makes it safer. When we were primarily, you know, in, in our early days when we were focusing more on household jobs and so on, there was definitely more security risk. Uh, whereas now, because we're primarily remote based, it's all very very secure. Um, to date, we haven't had a single problem. And I mean, over the past few years, we've seen now close to eight and a half million pounds worth of jobs offered to students on the platform. Wow. Incredible.
1: Amazing, right? That's serious Great value for the UK economy that is, right?
0: Uh, This is, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think that's exactly why we're here. We're here to help students. We're here to help. And at the same time, i talk a lot about how we're here to support students and help upskill them. We're also here to help support SMEs. You know, I think one of the reasons why students are so attractive to, you know, SMEs, it, not only the affordability factor, but also, you know, they are, they're hungry to learn as well. And they've got a wealth of, you know, modern day knowledge that perhaps wasn't there. Like ultimately, if you're going to hire a social media manager, who do you want, who do you want an 18 year old or you a 50 year old? Totally. I was going to
1: ask that. What, how do you, because I see this problem, not just students, but it's even more harder as a student, like self-assessing your own skills. I mean, right. I have difficulty enough doing it myself in my mid thirties, <laughs> so like, what, do, do you help them with that? And, and what are those answers that they give? What do you most commonly get? I mean, I was thinking social media was exactly where, where I, that's why I was smiling when you said that, um, what, you you know, what are the skills that are, that they most commonly list?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, see a lot like of student photographers, for example, on the platform that that's a really kind of exciting area of like videographers as well is really strong for us. Um. It very much does lean. I'd say, you know, practically 60% of the jobs placed on a platform are kind of associated with, I guess, the marketing scene. Um, A lot of social media managers, in house content creators. Um, I mean, it varies massively. I think, you know, like, UGC, user-generated content, has seriously been on the, you know, on the rise the past couple of years. Uh, given that people just don't want to be sold to anymore on social media, like you know, like when when a brand spends hundreds of thousands of pounds, millions, you know, on an ad. You, you know it's overly polished and you know you're directly being sold to. whereas user-generated content for example and, and this will make sense in a second is, is a really strong way of being able to actually put a consumer to consumer kind of face to the brand and that ends up improving the like the actual conversion so that's where we've seen a lot of success on the platform as well we see a lot of user-generated content jobs being posted um which is great because it's authentic it's an affordable means of content creation And that kind of leads on to our latest products that we're rolling out shortly. Well, literally, I can answer that, but just go through that again, and I'll
1: geriatric millennials. I'm sometimes. (laughs) What is user generated content? Give us an example of how an employee an employer would
0: go about. Sure, sure. So I think user generated content is ultimately content created directly by a consumer, it, it tends to be face to camera. Um, sorry about sounding bad, uh, it tends to be face to camera kind of activity. It's supposed to be real. It's not overly polished. It is, you know, I guess the direct perspective, um, on, you know, a product, a topic, whatever it may be, the way in which brands can use it. There's a number of different ways. So firstly for their organic social, right? So actually populating a social feed and creating like engaging content is relatively challenging, putting a face to a brand and actually having someone discussing different topics, you know, going through different sketches, whatever it may be, is a really great way of actually building out your own social media. So that's one kind of use case. Um, Another is for paid ads content. You know, as I was kind of saying a second ago, like traditional advertising isn't working the way it once did because people are tired of being sold to. So authenticity, you know, is at its key right now, the more authentic ultimately, you know, you can produce ads the, the stronger your conversion is likely to be so actually having a person directly filming talking about a product to the camera is a really authentic way of being able to achieve that and that's where we're seeing a lot of success within our community so tell
1: us about the new product then.
0: yeah so for years um shout our agency side that focuses on the creator economy and specifically student nano influencers has worked under an agency model whereby we will work alongside brands to curate campaigns and run essentially these nano influence campaigns at scale. That that being said, because when you when you have an agency, naturally they're very human intensive. Um, and in order for us to warrant taking on projects, you know, we, we do have standardized kind of minimums that we need to achieve in order to essentially open our doors to work, um, which has made it a lot harder for, I guess, smaller brands and startups to kind of tap into our workforce for that purpose until now. Um, so for year, uh, so, so essentially in the next week or so, so early August, we are launching, um, shout as a self-service tool. So for the first time in years, it's going to open up our doors to you know essentially our hundred odd thousands you know creators whereby brands will be able to directly run their own you know affordable content creation campaigns directly on our platform, uh, which is incredibly exciting for us. you know content starts from as little as 45 pounds. it's It's a great way of upping your social game and actually producing authentic ads at scale. Uh, since we launched our, our wait list about a week ago, uh, we've seen hundreds um, of brands flocking in, including you know giants like Adidas and so on, who are really excited to obviously use the platform. Yeah,
1: no, so, I can imagine. So tell us about. Let's go back to to you and the the safari and mm. doing that. <laughs> what did that? What did that teach you about work? Because I imagine it's one of those jobs that <laughs> looks quite glamorous, but it's probably pretty
0: hard work actually. I, it was like one of the hardest years of my life. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was incredibly challenging. So, I mean, take to the beginning of that story. When I was 16 years old, I was fortunate to go on a safari with my parents. Um, and I think at the time, all my kind of peers at school were looking to secure work experience because I think that's about the age you do at 16. And um, me being me, um, I managed to convince the owner of the safari lodge that was there at the time to give me uh, work experience at his lodge. So I was 16 and he flew me out to South Africa uh, where I worked at his lodge for a month and a half. And that really gave me a taste of it. You know, I've always had a passion for wildlife and nature. Um, And when I finished school, I believe I didn't quite actually get the grades I needed to study business. And it was kind of like a moment of, well, what do I do now? Um, And I, I, well, really my mum, she really pushed me to go and explore that kind of passion for wildlife. So I undertook a course with, eco training. Uh, it was a year safari ranger course essentially. Um I flew to Botswana where I did two months practically living in a tent. Uh, I mean, there was no no phone signal whatsoever. If I wanted to try and get a signal, I'd have to practically climb up a tree just to get one bar to maybe send a text to say, "Hey, I'm, I'm alive." Um, it, it it was really it was it was an interesting experience. You know, throughout that year, we did a lot. We did, you know, advanced rifle handling. I did tracking. I had to learn how to track animals based on <laughs> like tracks in the ground, a dung, whatever it may be. I had to learn to identify birds. Like, I think. By the time I left, I could identify 250 birds by sound. Um, like It was it was a crazy year and I had a lot of experiences along the way. Uh, we did a lot of astrology, a lot of astronomy, uh, geology, botany. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I think some of like, the crazier experiences that I had when I was there, uh, I had a fist fight with a baboon. Uh, one day I walked into the kitchen, <laughs> he was eating our apples, so I tried to show him along and he jumped on me and scratched my arm. Um, I got wow. hit by a python. Um, I once woke up to a hyena with its nose through my
1: tent. Don't skip the
0: I was, yeah, fine. So I was, <laughs> I went, I was going actually to zip up my tent, and as I went to unzip it, um, just went straight for my hand, um, like, and I think it was quite scary because you've got a lot of venomous snakes out there. Pythons are not venomous, so lucky, lucky me. Uh, they're constrictors, but when when it went for my hand, the first thing I had to do was essentially check there wasn't a venomous snake. If it was. I wouldn't have actually been able to get to hospital in time to get the anti venom because we don't store it on site. So that would have been me done. Um, So I, I checked it, quickly grabbed its head, made sure, okay, not venomous, threw it away, grabbed myself up, went to bed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <That's-> yeah.
1: <laughs> right, go on. So, on onto the onto
0: hyena story. I had had a hyena put its head through my tent once. I woke up to its head kind of like sticking through, which was pretty horrific. Um, I had an elephant, put its tusk through my car once when I was driving. Um, yeah, it was, it was was a crazy few years. Honestly, my life has changed dramatically. (laughs) Well, what was, what was the
1: sort of, not that it was a standard day as a safari, uh, on safari, but
0: just give us a typical day. Yeah. So, I mean, I, Usually, so if I, if, I mean, when I was actually working in the lodges, because uh, I did quite a lot of conservation, like anti-poaching work as well, uh, we'd usually do like a border control in the morning, um, where we just scout the fences to make sure everything's all right. For example, we'd go out and check on on the animals, um, make sure you know everything's well, um, especially when you've got endangered species such as rhino, um, elephant, for example. Uh, we tend to keep a close eye on them. Um, then, you know, around lunchtime, I would take out guests uh, for a drive. Uh, I did quite a lot of boating safaris as well. So I used to take people along mm. the rivers, uh, so that they could get a closer look at the elephants on the water banks, uh, hippos, crocodiles, et cetera. Um, there was a lot of eating, <laughs> a, a lot, a lot of good food. I bet, uh, yeah. Have you been on a safari before?
1: I have a long time ago though. Now, um, I actually just press university. Um, and it was. Yeah, amazing. I I really like to take my kids when they're older. Actually, I think definitely.
0: Bit, love it. Oh, I say it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, and the, the people yeah. as well. You know, I think like in terms of some of the things it taught me, it it taught me to be humble massively. Um, I remember one of the lodges I was working at. There was it's quite a nice story. There was this guy called Cheryl. Um he worked for the lodge for years. He lived in a local village. Um one day he said to me, Do you want to come back and see my village? I said, Yeah, sure, I'd absolutely love to. Um, ended up walking through the bush for about three hours to get to his village, uh, which he would have had to do twice a day, you know, early like evening, morning. Um, get to his village, he takes me to his house. I mean, when I say house, it was two small concrete blocks. You know, in one room he had a single bed or well, a single mattress on the floor that him and his wife slept in, his three kids slept on a mat on the floor. The room next to it, he had somewhat of a simplistic kitchen, no running water, no electricity. You know, they want water, they need to walk for an hour to go and collect water. Um, his dad was sleeping in like this cement hut in the garden. Um, and he'd been there for months just sleeping in this hut. And, you know, but what the takeaway that I had from that, this guy was perhaps the happiest man that I've ever met in my life. Like he absolutely was so happy with what was in front of him, you know, and I think. To be able to see people, you know, that are so humbled and so grateful of just life in you know, its purest form was, was something that I really kept with me.
1: A lesson for all of us. No Definitely. What does the future look like for you at Unitasco? Where would you like this to be in 10 years' time?
0: It's a good question. Um, you know, for me, I, like, ultimately, we set out to solve the student financial crisis. I don't want a single student to ever have to graduate without the experience they need to follow their dreams and go into their sector of choice. I don't want a single student to ever have to leave university because they can't afford the cost of living. That, in my mindset, is success. Um, And as we kind of said before, there is a lot more ground for us to cover. You know, we very much want to continue scaling the UK. You know, embark on our kind of scale, I guess, across the US. And you know. Wider Europe, Asia, like, you know, I feel like this as a model in its own right is something that can be replicated pretty much everywhere. Um, Really, it just comes down to, you know, having the opportunity to market it to a wise enough crowd um, to to be able to do so. So, I mean, I'm very much in terms of like, you know, I, I am a forward planner. I like looking at what may be, but I'm always very focused on what is. And I like to keep my, you know, eyes in front of me.
1: What's a piece of content that you've really enjoyed recently that's kind of helped you on your journey? And also, is there an entrepreneur that you've had that's kind of come through the ranks at Unitasker that you think you should pass the mic to and we should get on the show and and interview?
0: Good questions. Um, so in terms of a piece of content, um, are you talking about like, like a piece of content created for a client, for example, Well, more like a YouTube
1: or a podcast. We used to always ask people about their favorite books and that's fine. Actually, I thought there's, there's lots of influences that people have on their journey. Right.
0: Definitely. Um, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan show. Um, absolutely love it. I like the variety and the different kinds of people that he brings on board. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not an avid scroller. So when I come across something, it's usually because I've been referred to it. Um, so that, that's what I'd say in terms of content, in terms of an individual that I think would be a good fit. I mean, I've got one in a million entrepreneurs in my network um, and students that have come through the ecosystem on the app. So I'll absolutely have a think um, and come back to you with anyone that oh, I've definitely right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. yeah, 100%. All right, brilliant. Joe, thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future.
1: Thank you so much for having me.